Let's bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, Yahweh, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of this day. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you continue to do for this ministry and for those within this ministry and those abroad. We thank you for the truth that we understand. We pray that we would always search and understand the greater truth and, and apply that truth, most importantly. And we, we uh, certainly give you praise today, your Sabbath day, and we um, pray a special prayer uh, for Jack Seifert and also Brother Paul Henson. Uh, both are struggling. We pray that you would, that you would uh, provide healing and comfort according to your will. And Father, we ask this in the name of your Son, Yahshua the Messiah. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. It is a uh, blessing to uh, see everybody here today. Today we're going to continue on with the topic we've been focused on for the last many weeks, and that is the uh, fruits of the Spirit. And I want to focus on the last one here, and that, and that is temperance. Now this will probably not be the last message. I want to give a kind of a, which I probably should have done in the beginning, a uh, final message on why this matters, why this matters. But um, today we're going to focus on temperance. Before we do this, I want to go back and look at the fruits of the Spirit. We've done, uh, done this with the previous messages. I'd like to go back and just see what the Word says. And uh, so we're going to begin with Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And again, that's what we're going to cover today. Against such, it says there is no law. There's no opposition, in other words, to what we find here. Now, we're all familiar with this passage, should be by now. I've shared it multiple times. And I believe each one I've talked about how this really forms the bedrock or the foundation of our Father's Word. You know, I also believe that, as I've mentioned before, that Yahshua would define these as a weightier matters. We, we know that he uses that term in uh, Matthew 23, the weightier matters. So I believe that this would also be included within the weightier matters. You know, as we see within the word, it is crucial that we strive to adopt and live by the attributes we find within this passage. You know, these nine attributes or characteristics also embody who Yahshua was, and it really is, because he's certainly alive and with us today. And as his disciples were to emulate that example. You know, the other thing I've mentioned a few times throughout this series is that we as believers must, must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. We find that in Yahshua's statement in Matthew 5 that he's explaining that we must go beyond the righteousness. Well, I believe the way we do this is by adopting and living by the characteristics we find within this book, within this passage specifically. The last thing we should ever want to become as a believer is a pompous, pharisaical person who is incapable of showing things like love and compassion. And I've seen that. And that's why it's so important that we understand these lessons. Well, let's now focus on temperance, what temperance is, what temperance is not, what the Word says about temperance. I want to begin by defining this term, so we'll do that first. So here's the definition of temperance. Now, the word temperance goes back to the uh, inkratia, is the uh, Greek word, and it means self-confidence, self-confidence, and that's based on Strong's. And the Thayer's goes on to say self-control, the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. So as we see here, temperance comes from this Greek word, inkratia. 
Based on Strong's and also Thayer's, we find that this word, temperance, really goes and means self-control, discipline. That's what it means. Now, from Thayer's, it goes a bit further. It says it conveys also the notion of mastering our thoughts, thoughts and passions. Now, think about that phrase for just a moment. Mastering our desires and our passions. So that's what temperance is. You know, for me, the first word that really stands out is mastering. Mastering. What does it mean to master? This conveys the thought of having complete control, in this case, of our desires and passions. You know, how many of us can say that we've accomplished this? How many of us can say that at this very moment, we have complete control, we have mastery, if you will, of our emotions, of our actions, of our desires, of our passions? You know, on this issue, I believe that we all fall short, some more than others. Now, what about the words here, desires and passions? Well, I believe that both of these simply refers to the flesh, to our carnal nature, that when we allow these things to to dominate, we are, again, not showing self-control. We are not showing temperance, as we find here. Now, it's important to understand that our desires and passions are not always necessarily evil. You know, some people have this concept. You know, for example, intimacy within a marriage is a blessing from Yahweh. But fornication or adultery is a curse, we find within the word, is a serious sin. So not all desire and passion would be considered negative or something we should avoid. But with all desires and passions, there is a need for temperance or self-control. And hopefully that makes some sense. So we need to restrain in certain times. You know, we see that even in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, it says that there is a time for every season, a time for every purpose. And that's certainly what we find within the word. I want to begin today with a proverb, Proverb 25, verse 28. There it says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Now, how does it describe here a man who has, again, a lack of self-control or temperance? Where it describes a man as a city with broken down walls. Now, I want to read the um, explanation here from the Matthew Henry Commentary. Here's how he understands this verse. It says, The bad case of a vicious man who has not his rule over his own spirit, who when temptations to excess in eating or drinking are before him. And, you know, you can insert anything within that, by the way. It doesn't have to be eating or drinking. It could be anything. It says, Has no government of himself or no control of himself. It says, When he is provoked, breaks out into exorbitant passions, such a one is like a city with, uh, that is broken down and without walls. All that is good goes out and forsakes him. All that is evil breaks in upon him. He lies exposed to all the temptations of Satan and becomes an easy prey to his enemy. He is also liable to many troubles and vexations. It is likewise as much a reproach to him as it is to a city to have its walls ruined. So we see from Matthew Henry how he understands this passage. The notion of a city without walls implies a vulnerability. It's a vulnerability to sin and to the influence of Satan the devil. And this is precisely what happens when we have no restraint, when we have no temperance as a believer. You know, as a believer, we leave ourselves open and susceptible to sin and the carnal nature of mankind when, again, we do not have that self-control. We do not have that discipline as we should. So, again, this is why temperance is such an important attribute. 
If we're going to follow Yahweh's word and walk in Yahshua's examples, we must learn what it means to have temperance, what it means to have self-control, discipline within our lives. Now, another word for temperance, as I've been using here, is discipline. One of the definitions for discipline in the Webster's Dictionary is, quote, training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. You know, I believe that this is a great example of what it means to show temperance or self-control or, again, discipline as a believer. Yahweh's word is that trainer. Everything within it helps us understand what is right and wrong. And that word should correct, mold, and perfect our mental faculties and also moral character. You know, here are some examples of what it means. And, you know, these are just a few examples. Here's just a few examples of what it means to show temperance. It takes temperance to show patience when we're in a rush and we have somebody slow. You know, it takes temperance to show forgiveness when we've been wronged by somebody in some way. It takes temperance to show restraint with our diet or some other longing we have as people. It takes temperance to shut off the TV or radio when we see something morally offensive. You know, it takes temperance to be a positive example that others can look to and follow. Now, again, these are just a few examples. Obviously, there are many more we can list. You know, the bottom line is as believers in the Messiah, we must learn to exercise control and discipline over our thoughts and actions to be found worthy of Yahweh's calling. And that really is such an important concept. And in many ways, I believe temperance, as I'm going to kind of expound on later, is probably one of the harder fruits for this reason. I want to look now at something Paul says. 1 Corinthians 9, starting to verse 24, Paul speaks about the need there for temperance, the need for restraint. There he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he says, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but every one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So Paul begins here by speaking about a race, running a race. He says that even though there are multiple participants, there's one winner. And for this reason, he says here that we should run to obtain. So how do we run, and what, as believers, are we striving to obtain or to achieve? We run in part by showing temperance or self-control. I believe that this is a big way we run. This is the way we achieve Yahweh's prize, we, we show self-control, we show mastery, if you will, of our desires and passions. And again, the goal is very simple here. Paul says it's something not corruptible. Paul says it's not something tangible now. It's not something we're going to receive today, where this goal is Yahweh's kingdom. So to obtain this goal, we find here that we must show temperance or restraint. Now, in the closing of verse here, Paul says something that's always really hit home for me. He said there that he had to bring his own body into subjection, lest he himself would become a castaway. Now, I want to read this from a few other translations. Uh, Here's the American Standard Version. It says, But I buffet my body and bring it into bondage, bondage, 
lest by any means, after I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected. Again, this is Paul speaking. Paul is here acknowledging that, that he can go through life and he can preach and he can evangelize. And at the end of the day, he might miss the mark because he himself did not put his body into bondage, as we find here, show that restraint. 1 Corinthians 9.27, again from the NIV, it says, No, I beat my body and make it my slave. That's a very powerful word, slave. You see, he has master over his body. It says, my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize, or I will not be disqualified for the kingdom. I normally don't quote from the Living Bible, but I thought it had a pretty good um, uh, translation here, paraphrase. It says, like an athlete, I punish my body treating it roughly, training it to do what it should, not what it wants to. And, you know, that's our great definition, I believe, of temperance, being able to control our bodies, our minds, our thoughts, not what it wants to do naturally, but what it should be doing based on Yahweh's word. It says, otherwise, I fear that after enlisting others for the race, I myself might be declared unfit and ordered to stand aside so we find here different renderings of this verse. What is the message we find here? We're to be found worthy of Yahweh's kingdom, of this great prize that awaits the called and chosen. We must show restraint. We must show restraint of our minds and also our bodies. And as we see here, if we don't, we risk not receiving the prize, Yahweh's kingdom. Instead, as it says here, we can risk of becoming a castaway or rejected. You know, this reminds me of something Yahshua said in Matthew 7. I'm going to read it here. It says there in Matthew 7, Many will say in that day, Master, Master, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. You see, they were able to do these miraculous things, these, these great things. And at the end of the day, Joshua's going to come back and he's going to say, Depart from me, depart from me, leave me, you that work iniquity or sin. It's not what we can do. It's not the power we think we have or we have or, or how well we do things. It is how well are we molding our lives according to Yahweh's word. You know, like Paul, Yahshua's point here is that we cannot pursue sin or iniquity and yet still believe that we're going to be found worthy of Yahweh's kingdom. You know, as a side note, this shows the absolute lunacy in this one saved, always saved doctrine. Paul himself said here that he could have been a castaway, that he could have been rejected. You know, if Paul, being an apostle and a devout believer in the Messiah, if this man could have lost his salvation, I believe that we too can lose our salvation. So, you know, in some ways this is a sobering thought, or should be a sobering thought, consideration for all of us, to again keep this thought of, of, of temperance, of, of constraint, of, of discipline. To be called and chosen, we must learn to do this, to control our thoughts and behavior. And, you know, as we know, this is a very hard thing for human beings. I believe that this is probably the, the uh, fruit that, again, offers the most challenge. Consider, just think about that for a moment, this, this thought of controlling, having mastery over our thoughts, 
over our behavior. It's a very, very hard thing to do. In fact, Paul speaks about this in Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. Paul says there, Then I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust... Now listen to how he describes this opposition here. He says, for the flesh lusts after the spirit and the spirit after the flesh. You see, they're in opposition. He says, these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So what do we find from Paul? He begins by saying again, walk not by the flesh. Don't do what you naturally want to do. He says, walk by the spirit. Now I believe the spirit here represents the spirit and truth of Yahweh. He also explains how our flesh and spirit are continually at war with one another. And, you know, war is a really good word, I think, to describe this because it really is a war within us. And what we do at the end of the day will determine what we receive when Yahshua comes. Are we going to win the battle? Are we going to show the constraint? Are we going to show the discipline? Are we going to show the temperance? Are we going to show the self-control so that we have master of our mind over actions, over our thoughts? Or are we going to allow our flesh to dominate? What will we do as believers? You know, since we're all human beings and susceptible to the pulls of the flesh, I know that we can all relate to this. Every person in this room can relate to what what I'm speaking about here. You know, I believe most, if not all of us, desire to do the right thing. We all want to do the right thing, but we find that we don't always do the right thing, do we? We don't always do what we believe we know we should be doing. You know, maybe we struggle with with patience with, with those in the assembly. You know, maybe we struggle with anger with, with our families. Maybe we struggle with pride when it comes to admitting fault. Maybe we struggle with impure thoughts. You know, whatever, maybe we struggle with many of those things. You know, whatever it is, we all struggle as believers, and we must not yield to the flesh. We must not give in. We must conquer or overcome through the Spirit. We must learn to control our behavior and thoughts when it comes to these issues. You know, but as we all know, again, this is much easier said than done. We all struggle when it comes to our flesh, and overcoming is not easy. It is very, very hard, and this really goes to the, to the core of what temperance is. And again, that is self-control. That is this ability to show discipline to self. You know, whether that is disciplining our mind, disciplining our, our behavior, disciplining our speech, disciplining our sight, whatever it is, that ability to show discipline. It is very, very hard. In many ways, temperance, again, may be the most difficult fruit to master, to, to really apply. Now, even though as hard as believers, we have a calling to and an obligation to do this. This isn't something we can ignore. This isn't something we can choose to uh, work on later. We must always strive and be aware and be cognizant of temperance. And, you know, just doing this message, truthfully, this has made me more aware of temperance, of this concept and the importance of self-control, of discipline. And that's what I'm hoping to impress upon each one here and those listening. You know, doing this requires a great deal of discipline, a great deal of restraint. Well, I may disagree with their theology and religion, I do believe in many ways a good example of this is a Buddhist monk. You know, the fact is a discipline that these uh, monastic communities show is far and above what we show as believers. You know, for example, here's an excerpt from a Buddhist source 
It's just short. It says, uh, beneficial is control of I. Control of ear is beneficial too. Beneficial of control of nose. Control of tongue is beneficial too. Bodily control is beneficial. Control of speech is beneficial too. Beneficial is control of mind. Every restraint is beneficial. Now, again, reading this, I'm not supporting or endorsing Buddhism. I'm simply sharing to show the the extent. And they really do. They, They pride themselves in this concept of restraint, of discipline. It's one of the main facets of this monastic community. You know, as believers on the Messiah, we should be equally disciplined. Equally disciplined when it comes to what we see, what we say, what we do, what we think. We should really strive again to show this temperance. I don't think as believers we consider this discipline enough. We consider this fruit enough. I think we go through life realizing and, and, and being aware that it's out there and that it exists. But there's a difference between knowing that it exists and really spending the time to focus on what it is and what it means to show temperance, to show discipline, to be able to control our minds and our behaviors and our thoughts in a way that is in line with Yahweh's word and not in line with our flesh or the world. Now Paul, in Romans 13 verse 12, speaks about the coming of Yahshua and the need again for restraint. Romans 13, verse 12 through 14, it says, The night is far spent. This is metaphorically speaking. The time is at hand, is what he's saying. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put you on the master, Yahshua, Messiah, and make not provision, it says, not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Now, what does Paul mean here when he says a day is at hand? Where this, again, is a reference to the second coming, I believe, of Yahshua, the Messiah, the imminent return. You know, well, I don't know the timing of Yahshua's coming, and I'm very careful, and I'm always very... Um, uh, quick to say that we don't know when Yahshua is coming. Saying that I do believe that we're seeing many of the signs within the word, and not just here, but much of the world. You know, for this reason, now is not the time to be negligent with our faith. Now is not the time to be negligent with our devotion. We must, again, go full in. And part of the way we do this is by, again, showing temperance and self-control. You know, Paul says here that we should cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This is the same thing as saying not to pursue or live by the flesh, but, but instead by the spirit. So what are some of the items Paul mentions here where he speaks about not giving ourselves over to drunkenness or immorality or strife or envy? The solution to all of this, I believe, is temperance, is this self-control, this Discipline. You know, for example, to control immorality or wantonness, and that's what wantonness means, immorality. We must exercise control of our thoughts and our actions. You know, remember that an action begins with a thought. An action begins with a thought. If we can control our negative thoughts, we can control our negative actions. 
And that's such an important point and such an important truth to understand that if we can control our negative thoughts, that we can control our negative actions and our negative behavior. You know, Paul closes here by saying that we should put on Messiah and give no provision to the flesh. Now, what do you suppose he means here when he says put on Messiah? You know, we see this referenced in other places where this simply means that we're to emulate and do as Joshua did, that we're to follow in his examples, that we're to do as he did. As believers, how well do we follow our Savior? How well do we emulate our Savior? How well do we, do we show ourselves to be like Yahshua the Messiah? Does our behavior reflect him? You know, as his disciples were commanded to follow in his examples, meaning to do as he did, to walk as he walked, to behave as he behaved, to worship as he worshiped, to think as he thought, to do as he did. How well do we do? How well do we measure up? Paul also mentions here again, not making provision for the flesh. This is one reason, again, why emulating our Savior is so important. You know, if we're doing as Joshua did, we're not going to be following or pursuing our flesh or the sin of our carnal nature. And this is the way we achieve this, and it's through, again, temperance, through self-control, through this idea and concept of, of having discipline over our minds and bodies in a way, listen, in a way that produces the Messiah. And that's really the key. It's not just about self-control, and, and uh, it's about self-control and discipline that brings us to the state of Messiah-like, of being like our Savior. Now, Paul in Romans 5, starting in verse 2, he speaks about achieving this goal and how we do it. So I'm going to read part of this passage here, Romans 5, 2 through 4, says, By whom... Also, we have access by faith into this, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of Elohim. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. So Paul here, he describes this process. I want to spend some time looking at this process. This process begins with what? It says tribulation, which produces patience, which produces experience, which produces hope. Now, tribulation simply refers to hardship of some sort of trial. The word patience comes from the Greek hupomone and refers to endurance or stamina. So patience is not just being patient as we often think, but it's also having, again, this, this endurance, this stamina as a believer that we don't quit, that we're going to continue on. Experience comes from the Greek dokime, refers to an approved or tried character. So again, experience isn't just experience in some, something and we have some sort of knowledge or ability. No, it's much more than that. This is concept having, of having an approved character, a tried character, somebody that's been through the ringer and has come out, come out and is better for it. Now the last word here is hope. It comes from the Greek elpis and it refers to a faith or confidence. So again, looking at this process again, we see that hardship produces what? Hardship produces endurance. It produces this consistency. That endurance produces good character. And again, that's such an important point to understand good character. And that good character produces faith or this confidence. Because again, we've gone through that tribulation. We've built that endurance. And that endurance developed into good character, moral character. Character that would reflect and emulate our Savior. 
So we see that there's value in hardship. It builds good character, which again produces faith in the end. Now Paul mentions here hope. What is he referring to when he says hope? Where I believe that this hope is a reference to Yahweh's kingdom. You know, when we undergo tribulation, we build hope in this prize, in this truth, in this in this kingdom that we're all striving to achieve. Now, how do we get from tribulation to hope? So again, it begins with tribulation and ends in hope. So how do we get from tribulation to hope? Well, we do this, I believe, again, through temperance or self-control. We do this by by being able to discipline our mind, our behavior, our actions, by having control over those items. So temperance is not only valuable when dealing with human nature. And again, we have to have temperance when it comes to, again, immoral thoughts or, or, or not being patient or, or having anger or some, some other shortcoming that we have that we should be able to control and show, again, temperance with. But it's also when we face some sort of trial or tribulation. That is also when we should be showing temperance as a believer. And as we see here, the prize that awaits is vastly greater than anything we know and have in this life. You know, what could possibly be greater than Yahweh's kingdom? And I don't know if as believers we consider this enough. You know, sometimes it's the simple things that really stand out. And I know here at the ministry, being a minister and, and other experience outside of the ministry and in the, in the workforce, that that it sometimes it's a very simple concepts that make the difference. And here I believe that this is a very simple concept. Have we considered, have we thought about Yahweh's kingdom, the greatness? How often do we do that? How often do we just take a moment to consider the prize that awaits the called and chosen? You know, so often are we so busy and so caught up in this life, in this world, and what we're doing in this life, that we forget to take a moment Consider to consider the greatness that awaits. But it's so important that we do that, that we consider the greatness that awaits because that should be our motivator. That should be the reason why we're here. That should be the reason that drives our behavior, that drives this desire to, to, to be more temperate, to, to show more self-control, to, to be more disciplined, to realize that we must do this if we're going to be found worthy. And whatever the cost is, it is worth it because Yahweh's kingdom is that great. It's that awesome. Well, I want to turn to Romans 12 now, Romans 12, verse 1. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Elohim, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto Elohim, which is your reasonable service. In other words, this is basically the minimum we should be doing. This is a minimum of what we should be going beyond this. But he says, this is your reasonable service. Now, he goes on to say, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of Elohim. Paul begins here by saying that we're to do what? He says that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to Yahweh. How do we do this? Well, we do this by following. We do this by obeying his word and by sacrificing for his truth. We do this by living his ethics, by living his values. Such an important word, by the way, values. The values and ethics of Yahweh's word. Are we living those values and those ethics? Or do we, again, kind of ignore those? 
You know, this includes everything from following the Sabbath to loving our neighbors ourself. And that's a pretty big range when you think about it, keeping the Sabbath to showing love and compassion to those in the assembly and those we know. Paul also speaks here about not conforming ourselves to this world. And this includes a sin and the filth that we see in this world. He says instead of conforming, he says that we are to transform ourselves by the renewing of our mind. Now, what does this mean? To transform ourselves according to the renewing of our mind. How do we do this? So the word transformed here comes from the Greek metamorpho. Metamorpho literally means, based on Strong's, to transform literally or figuratively metamorphose. So it's to transform, and then again, Strong says this word metamorphose, where the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines metamorphose as change or cause, to change completely in form or nature. Think of metamorphose, metamorphose, metamorphose. Now, when I think about metamorphose or metamorphose, I think about how a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. In this case, the original form is so vastly different that you don't recognize the original form, do you? So you see a cat or a butterfly, and there, there's, there's no resemblance to what it was before. Or in this case, we should be doing the same thing. As believers, we should see this same radical change. We should see a very different person who we were originally, the the, the, the behavior and the thoughts that we had originally should be in the past. And that metamorphose, that change, that utter complete change is what Paul is speaking about, this, this transformation. So how do we go through this change? Or again, we do this through temperance in part, through self-control, through discipline. It takes discipline to change who we are today into who we should be based on the word. You know, to no longer be conformed to this world and transformed by the renewing of our minds takes a tremendous amount of change and effort and discipline. And again, it cannot happen without this concept of, of temperance. And this is, again, why I believe this is so important, this word temperance. You know, without it, we simply cannot be the person Yahweh wants us to be. It's that serious. We cannot be the person Yahweh wants us to be without this word, without temperance, without, without this self-control. I want to turn to a very similar passage in Titus 2. Titus 2, 11 through 13, it says, For the grace of Elohim that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying perverseness, perverseness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, honestly, righteously, piously in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great Elohim and our Savior, Yahshua the Messiah. You know, based on what we find here, what is the purpose for grace? What is the purpose for grace? Where it says here that grace teaches us to deny perverseness, and worldly lusts. Now, many believe that grace is simply this concept of Yahweh's favor, of Yahweh's forgiveness. Where it is true that it does represent Yahweh's favor, but it's so much more than this. You see, Yahweh's grace is to bring us to a state of repentance. That's the purpose of grace. 
to bring us to a state of repentance. And as we know, repentance means more than simply providing a verbal remorse. You know, some people think that's what repentance is. I'm sorry. No, you're not. Because if, if you haven't changed, you're not sorry. You see, we, 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 we're sorry when we change and when we apply and when we adopt and adapt Yahweh's word. So that is repentance. It is a turning away from sin. It's a turning away from those things that offend our Father in heaven. That is repentance. And that is the purpose of grace. Yahweh's favor is to bring us to a state. And that state is to a state of repentance, a state that is striving to live a better life. And we do this again through temperance or self-control. This is again what Paul's referring to in the word when he says that he had to bring his body into bondage or had to bring his body into subjection. He had to subdue his body, to discipline his body, to control his body. He realized that to achieve the prize of Yahweh's kingdom, that drastic and real change was required. And that's what temperance is, is real and drastic change. It's this self-control that allows us again to mold ourselves, not as we are today, but as we should be, based on the word. And you know, this holds as true for us as it did for Paul. We too must put our body into subjection, into bondage, must strive to learn to be more disciplined, to to have a greater sense of self-control, to have a temperance. I want to close now with something Peter says. Second epistle, chapter 1, verse 4. So First Peter, actually first epistle, I should say, First Peter 1, 4 through 7, it says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of Elohim through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And again, I'm not one to predict dates, I'm not saying Yahshua is going to come back in the next 5, 10, 20, 50 years. But I do believe that we're seeing many of the signs, and signs, and this is not the time to be negligent. goes on to say, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness, though manifold, through manifold temptations. He was trials going through. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, you see, Paul's making a contrast with gold here, with something that's very precious to us. But we see here that it's not real precious in the big scheme of things. This says, Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Yahshua the Messiah. You know, as Paul spoke about the kingdom of Titus, we find Peter here focused again on the kingdom, focused on the prize, focused on this hope that we find within the word. So how does he describe this kingdom? What does he say? Well, he refers to it as an inheritance, as an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away. Now, the word inheritance in the Greek simply refers to something that doesn't decay or ruin. And the word undefiled refers or implies something that is unpolluted, something that is untarnished, something that is pure. So that is how... Peter here describes a kingdom. He describes and says that the kingdom has no end. It has no end. There is no decay. There is no ruin. It will go on and on forever and ever. 
and also that it is free from sin, free from pollutants, free from that which would offend. It goes on to say that our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven. Does this mean that we go to heaven? No, this simply means that the promise is stored in heaven. We know that the promise comes down to us. You know what's important here for me is where it mentions here that this kingdom is reserved for us. Reserved. Such an important point. You know, this is a prize that awaits the called and chosen, those who overcome, those who live their lives now for him. You see, it's not reserved without condition. As believers, we must, again, overcome. We must strive to change. We must show discipline. We must show control. We must show restraint, as Paul spoke about. You know, for many people, this life is not easy. And we know of examples where life is not easy. People are struggling. You know, maybe it's medically, maybe it's financially, you know, whatever way it is and whatever struggle it is, we know this. Whatever we go through in life, it is worth the destination. Whatever we go through, whatever we have to endure in this life is worth the destination. It is worth the kingdom. Nothing is greater and holds more promise than for Yahweh's kingdom. You know, the fact is, and the sad reality is, this life that we live is very short. I want to read just a small excerpt here from David, Psalms 103. It says, As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. For the mercy of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. This life is short. This life that we have now is but a vapor, and a moment of time. But Yahweh's kingdom is forever and will never vanish away. The Apostle Paul pursued this kingdom by placing his body into subjection, by placing his body in bondage so that he would have the hope of the promise, so that he would have something awaiting him at the return of Yahshua the Messiah. You know, if we desire this prize, we must do the same. We must place our bodies, we must place our minds into bondage. We must learn to master our own thoughts and actions. And again, this is at the core of what it is to show temperance. Temperance is this concept of of being able to control, being able to master our minds, our behaviors, to be cognizant, to be aware, and to be able to control those things, and not to allow them to control us. And that is a very, very hard thing to do. Nobody in this room, nobody listening, I can assure you, has 100% temperance. We're all learning to grow. But it's so important that we understand the reason for this. And the reason for this is very simple. If we want to achieve Yahweh's kingdom, if we want to achieve this prize, if we want to achieve forever life, everlasting life with our Savior and with our Father in heaven then we must do as we find within the word. And part of that doing, as we see here, is being able to show temperance, being able to show self-control, being able to show restraint, being able to show discipline. And I know it's not easy. Are we doing this as believers? 
Or are we allowing our flesh to determine what we do and what we think and how we respond and how we act and how we behave? Which one is it? You know, I pray that as believers, you know, we strive to always adopt to, to live by temperance and the other fruits we've seen and we've found throughout this important series. You know, by doing this, we will be following in Yahshua's examples, we'll be living the weightier matters, doing things that really matter. And at the end of the day, we're doing this so that we can show Yahweh that we do love him, that we want to please him, that we want to follow him, that we're willing to do as Paul did, and that is to show this, this ability to keep our body into subjection, to realize the need to show that restraint, that discipline. Because if we do not, if we allow our flesh to run amok, if we allow our flesh to determine our behavior, our thoughts, our actions, we will not be found worthy. And that's just, that's just the way it is. So I pray that as believers we would understand this message. I pray that we would really take this to heart, that we would take some moments, take some time to, A, consider and ponder the greatness of Yahweh's kingdom, and then consider what we must do to discipline, to control so that we're found worthy, as Paul was concerned with. May Yahweh bless you.